This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, I'm going to just talk about what I've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and it is just me on today's episode. Uh, today is Tuesday, Valentine's Day, 2023. Happy Valentine's Day to anyone who cares about that. So let's just dive right in. Uh, I'll tell you guys a little bit about what I've been doing and get into what I've been watching recently. I normally don't really have much to say in the what we've been doing section. I haven't really done much for a long time since the pandemic, really. But I joined my parents and my wife to go axe throwing this past weekend. There's a, a little business that opened up not too far away from where we live that is that has like lanes, almost like a, like a bowling alley or something inside. And there are wooden targets with uh, painted circles on them. It looks a little bit like a skee ball type of scenario uh, at, a, at a carnival or something like that. And uh, they give you uh, little hatchets that you just throw at the wall. Uh, it's pretty simple. Um, a lot of fun. It actually does remind me of bowling. And it's, yeah, it's really great. There's different point values and things you can play sort of mini games and, and stuff like that. Um, there's a little area where you can bring food and drinks and everything inside. I don't know how uh, much sense it makes to be imbibing alcohol while you're <laughs> hurling sharp objects. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was very, very fun experience. Um, I went in not quite knowing to what to expect, but uh, ended up really, really enjoying it. I feel like it would be cathartic for a lot of people. Um, 
So yeah, if you've never been axe throwing, maybe look up and see if there's a spot that opened up in your area that does that because like I said, a lot of fun. Okay, so let's get into what I've been watching. I checked out Magic Mike's Last Dance, which is in theaters right now. This is the latest movie from Steven Soderbergh. It stars Channing Tatum as once again, the Magic Mike of the title, Mike Lane, a former stripper who is now working as a bartender in the beginning of this film. He uh, attends a fundraising event uh, as a bartender, he's, he's working this event, and this this event is hosted by a character played by Salma Hayek Penalt, and uh, she learns that he is, in fact, Magic Mike. He's not a normal bartender. He is this guy who is sort of a legendary male stripper, and he performs a dance for her, and she whisks him away to become the director of a stage show in London. So uh, that's where her life is based. There's this whole subplot about her basically wanting to get back at her estranged husband, who is a billionaire of some sort. And uh, there's, you know, uh, lots of ups and downs with the plot. But uh, it's basically just an excuse for Channing Tatum and Selma Hayek to get together. And uh, there's a, a simmering romance between them. But also, it's very much a sort of putting on a show type of movie where uh, there's a lot of um, Channing Tatum's character and and Selma Hayek's character, like uh, recruiting up and coming dancers in the London scene and putting them through the paces to try to create this stage show that is going to shake up the the London theater scene and and really um, inject life back into uh, the proceedings here. So. Um, I went into this movie after hearing some bad things about it and wasn't really expecting much and ended up having a pretty decent time at it. I think, I think the dance sequences obviously are incredibly impressive. Um, I really liked the chemistry between Channing Tatum and uh, Selma Hayek's characters. The one downside is that like all of the supporting characters are kind of just there. Um, the screenplay is not the best of, of these movies. I actually like the first movie best out of all three of these. I don't know if that's a controversial opinion because Magic Mike XXL, uh, the, the second movie has become this sort of like revered cultural object ever since it came out. Um, and that movie has a lot going for it, but uh, I, I still prefer the, the first film. There's something about McConaughey and that sort of um, like real, uh, almost like like gritty down and out tone to that, that whole first movie that, that really appealed to me at the time and, and still appeals to me now. This one is much more um, divorced from reality. And, and the downside of Magic Mike's Last Dance, as far as I can see it, is that the supporting characters just aren't quite there. In that first film, he's surrounded by so many sort of larger than life uh, fellow dancers. And um, while Channing Tatum is great, he just can't hold up the entirety of that side of the movie. And there's, there's a lot of that side of the movie in magic Mike's last dance. So um, yeah, I guess a bit of a mixed bag, but I, I came away from it enjoying the experience much more than I thought I was going to. So that is in theaters right now. If you want to check that out and let's see what else have I been watching. I watched a movie called no time for comedy from 1940 starring James Stewart and Rosalind Russell. And uh, Stewart plays a playwright who is uh, born and raised, I guess, in a, a very small town in Minnesota. And he writes this play about like high society in New York City. And the play gets picked up and he actually comes to the city for the first time, even though he's never been there. He wrote this play about it. And, and everyone sort of assumes that the person who must have written this play knows a lot about this, uh, this milieu. And um, it's definitely like a person who you know, walks in these high society circles. And in fact, it's the opposite. He is just sort of this country bumpkin 
type of character who uh, rolls in and and they're looking for some help rewriting some aspects of it. And everyone's sort of shocked that it's just this tall, gangly guy who doesn't have any sort of um, sense of like what the real city is like. And uh, Rosalind Russell plays the female lead of the, the play. And the two of them um, strike up a romance. And that happens very, very quickly where they become married. And then uh, he becomes a, a very successful screenwriter. And then the the sort of hook of the movie is uh, he meets uh, another woman, another man's wife, and she begins to seduce him away and, and basically trying to whisper in his ear like, hey, you don't have to uh, write the same type of plays over and over again. Like the, the idea that you wrote this successful comedy the, the first time out and you've re- repeated your success by doing, you know, three more of those giving you like four hits in four years. There, there must be more to your creative genius than this. Maybe you should write a tragedy instead. So he uh, basically lets the, his like sort of creative ambitions get the better of him. And he sort of, there's a really weird dynamic in this, in this movie where these characters don't act like, don't represent any sort of um, relationship that I've ever seen on film. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Deep Water, the Hulu movie that that stars um, Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas, where I walked away from that movie going like, okay, whatever weird relationship quirks, uh, quirks those two have is um, is something that is like totally outside my wheelhouse or, or realm of experience. So maybe there are people who act like this, but I I've never met any of them myself. And, and the same type of thing could be said for the characters in no time for comedy. Um, there's a really interesting idea here about an author not wanting to write comedy in a world that is like drowning in wars and horrible things. Like Jamie Stewart is, is after his streak of success is basically saying like, ah, I don't, what is the point of writing comedy in this uh, really crucial period in history where things are, are terrible and the world is, is really dour and like terrible things are happening all around me. And this is obviously like something that I've been thinking about a lot in the past few years. Um, he really wants to write something important instead of something that will sort of make people smile. And that was a, a fascinating concept, but the movie just doesn't really do anything with it. It raises it once or twice and then just sort of throws it away. It's, it's more of an afterthought than like an actual theme or whatever that it's it's actually engaging with so i was disappointed to see that that, that wasn't followed up on in any real way but um yeah I, I feel like i say this a lot but if you're i say this because i'm guessing a lot of our listeners don't you know make it a point to go out and watch a movie starring jimmy stewart all the time there's a bias toward the new in our culture and like the idea that um that netflix for example does not have a super huge library of titles pre-1970 for example it means that some of the stuff you actually have to like hunt for instead of it being presented to you all the time so uh anyway it's a long way of saying like i, I say a lot like if you're if you're looking to like get into watching older movies maybe don't have no time for comedy be the first one out of the gate like go watch Casablanca, go watch some of the, the classics instead um because they're classics for a reason and and movies like this are are sort of like uh you know, I, I've found these like years into my sort of personal project of like dipping back into old classic cinema and, and going and educating myself. And, and you know, sometimes they're the <laughs> what I find are great. And sometimes there's some weird ones. And this one is definitely a little bit of an outlier. So, um, OK, so that is called No Time for Comedy. I, I watched that on uh, Turner Classic Movies. I DVR that that way. Uh, before I move on any further, I want to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. I also had the chance to watch Funny Face from 1957. This is a musical uh, directed by Stanley Donan, who I believe co-directed Singing in the Rain, so definitely has 
um, sort of bona fides in this uh, this genre. And uh, this movie stars Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn. And Hepburn plays a sort of um, meek bookstore employee. And um, Fred Astaire plays a character who is a photographer for a fashion magazine. When the editor of the fashion magazine picks this bookstore to do a photo shoot in, they just like roll in like a whirlwind and sort of leave this place uh, basically decimated with all the mess that they leave behind the the, um, editor and her assistants and the photographers and everybody. And uh, Fred Astaire's character strikes up a, a, I guess, a relationship with Audrey Audrey Hepburn's character. It's a really... um, (laughs) kind of gross relationship she he's way older than she is and the two of them don't have any chemistry in this movie at all um but i was really watching this for hepburn and she's great she gets to do some dance stuff which i hadn't seen her do before um and she is super charismatic and and always really really fun to watch so i I don't really agree with the premise of this movie though it's called funny face because the idea of the movie is that during this uh, whirlwind photo session in this bookstore, this random bookstore, uh, Astaire's character happens to take some pictures that have Audrey Hepburn's character in it. And they are looking for them. The fashion magazine is looking for like their next big model to be, um, you know, to to sort of launch their next global advertising campaign or whatever they're going to do with their magazine. And they zoom in on these, these photos and see that Audrey Hepburn's in there. And, the editor of the magazine is like, oh, we can't possibly use her because she has a funny face, like the, the multiple characters. And I think Hepburn's character herself says like, oh, there's no way I could be a model because essentially like my face is strange. And I'm like, I, I do not understand what they're saying here because like Audrey Hepburn is like one, is like one of the most, um, you know, conventionally attractive people to ever walk the face of this earth. So what on earth do you mean that you don't have a face that could be that of a model? I, I, yeah, um, kind of baffling decision there. But uh, yeah, so the, the whole movie is um, Astaire's character and the editor of the magazine whisk Audrey Hepburn's character over to Paris. And a lot of the movie was shot on location in Paris. So it's really cool to see what Paris looked like in the late 1950s and um, to see them actually on location filming it at some of these big sort of iconic um uh, locations and stuff like that the romance like i said between these two characters the the two leads is just absolutely not there so um yeah that was a bit of a a bit of a bummer uh but um there are some good dance sequences in here i I did not like any of the songs i thought the music was just a giant uh swing and a miss for me personally um but audrey hepburn is great in this so if you're looking for like a really really enjoyable uh, Audrey Hepburn performance and enjoyable, I guess, Audrey Hepburn experience. Uh, Funny Face might be a way to get that. Um, I also had a chance to watch The Thing from Another World, which is a movie that I've been wanting to see for a long, long time. This one came out also in the 50s, 1951. This is the black and white uh, science fiction horror movie that is an adaptation of Who Goes There, which, uh, if any of this sounds familiar, it's because the thing john carpenter's the thing from 1982 is also an adaptation of who goes there so the thing from another world uh is the the 50 version of that and i'd always heard that howard hawks directed this movie evidently there's some uh controversy some debate about that because it's actually credited to a guy named christian nyby uh and i was reading a little bit about that there's some some back and forth about like who actually did direct this movie so uh, anyway, Howard Hawks produced the film officially. Um, but this movie is really, really good. I love the thing, the, the John Carpenter version. So I had 
always been wanting to see this and just never got around to, to checking it out. But uh, the thing is like, I, I think it's pretty close to a perfect movie. It, it just does everything it, it's trying to do. It, it nails it so, so well. And the thing from another world, you can see that it's a little bit shaggier. There's, there's some elements that um, John Carpenter just like pared down and sort of sheared off at the edges and said like, okay, let's get to the essence of this thing for my adaptation, my sort of remake of this. Um, but the thing from another world, the, the 1951 movie is also very, very enjoyable. And there's some really cool stuff in here. Like the, there's a, flames like a, a fire sequence late in the movie where uh the thing the the sort of alien uh villain character i guess you could call it of this movie gets trapped and set on fire in a very small contained space characters are like hurling uh kerosene at it and just lighting it on fire and there there's the flames are um, very intense and very, very close to the human performers who are in this thing. There's also a guy in a suit who is basically just like straight up lit on fire. And uh, Wikipedia claims anyway that this is like one of the first, um, one of the first like big fire scenes, like fire uh, stunts to be performed in this way. I have no idea if that's correct. I'm, I didn't have time to fully fact check that before I started recording today, but I can buy that that's true because this thing looked I feel like I've said this a lot recently watching some of these movies from like the seventies that like a lot of the stuff feels dangerous. And this, this also this particular stunt felt super, super dangerous in a way where like you, you almost recoil from the screen a little bit because you're like, Jesus Christ, I hope everybody like made it out of this thing un unsinged basically. So uh, the thing from another world, like I, I can definitely see why uh, John Carpenter you know, watch this movie and and what he saw from it and and watching it as a big fan of the thing and knowing that movie very, very well, it's very easy to see the DNA here and, and really enjoy that experience. So I uh, highly recommend checking that out if you've never seen the original. And then the last thing I wanted to mention just very quickly is the Harley Quinn Valentine's Day special is streaming on HBO Max right now. I finally caught up with that show a little while back uh, after years of slowly chipping away and, and um, checking that out. And it's just delightful. Uh, my fingers crossed, I'm supposed to talk to uh, Justin Halpern and Patrick Shoemaker, who are the, uh, I believe, co-creators of that show. And, and they were the showrunners for the first three seasons. And I think they're passing the torch on to a woman named Sarah Peters, who is a writer on the show for uh, season four and beyond, which is like coming up soon. Um, but I'm, I'm supposed to be interviewing them tomorrow. So uh, stay tuned to Slash Film for that whenever that goes up hopefully sometime in the next few days. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to talk to them a little bit about the Valentine's Day special, which is uh, a, a, basically like a, a double edition of a normal episode. I think the normal episodes are 22 minutes and this is 44 minutes. And um, it, it features Bane, who Harley Quinn's version of Bane is one of my favorite uh, DC creations of all time. I love that character so much. And it has a lot of the Harley IV relationship, which is sort of the beating heart of the show. Um, so I love the... Uh, the way that they decided to sort of disperse the attention uh, on the characters here. Um, Clayface also has a really, really fun uh, sort of, I guess, B story or C story uh, across this um, special. So I don't want to ruin anything for people who haven't got a chance to catch up with it. I mean, it's a Valentine's Day special. Today is Valentine's Day. I'd recommend if you're a fan of the show using today to catch up and, and watch that because, uh, yeah, there's it's basically like everything you love about the show uh, condensed down into, um, yeah, a, a very uh, a very special sort of thematic episode. So uh, the Valentine's Day Harley Quinn special is on 
HBO Max right now. And that is going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about all the stuff that I mentioned at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.